Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, on this week's episode of Six Degrees with Mike McKenna, I'm joined by the legendary goaltender Glenn Hall. Hall of Famer. During his life, he played over 1,000 games in a row. That'll never be touched. Incredible, an absolute legend of the position. As always, you can find me, all the socials, Mike McKenna, at Mike McKenna 56 Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And the Super Bowl, it's right around the corner. If you're looking to place a bet on any of the sports going on, betonline.ag is the best and only place to lock it in. I'm thinking the Rams and the Browns. Why not? Browns, best helmets in all of football. And the Rams, you know, a former hometown team of mine in St. Louis. So we'll go with those two. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any other place online. And there's always the online casino as well. So head to betonline.ag today. Take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Support for Six Degrees is also brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. I know it's one of those subjects that we don't talk about often, but I got to tell you, the Lawnmower 3.0, listen to this baby rev up. You know what's cool? It's got a light on it. It's not always easy to see what you're doing, but with the Lawnmower 3.0, you can't miss a spot. It's an unbelievable product. Uh, I, I, I can't imagine anybody would have a loved one that wouldn't appreciate this thing. Uh, it's why the Manscaped team has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months, a year and a half, perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code 6degrees at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code 6degrees. Try it. Guarantee you're going to like it. If you're looking for goalie coaching, I'm available for that through 44Vision Hockey. You go to 44visionhockey.com, fill out a registration form, put my name down. We will get your clips from Hockey TV, from Live Barn. We'll upload them. I'll diagram them. I'll go through with the perspective of a former pro player, somebody like myself who has a background in coaching, and we meet over Zoom to go over all your clips, to take your game where you want to go, mentally, physically, technically, you name it, 44visionhockey.com. Check it out. Put my name in. I'd be happy to work with you. And now, going on to a legend of our position of goaltending, of hockey, the Hall of Famer, Glenn Hall. I'm not comfortable in a crowd or anything, and uh, but in the goal, I was uh, I was really comfortable. It was a position and a, a place I like to be. So you really enjoyed it and felt like it was it was home, right? You could tune out all the surrounding stuff and just go out there and play hockey. Is that what it felt like to you? Yeah, that's what it was all about, and I'm sure it was the same for you, was it not? Yeah, very much so. I I just always enjoyed being there so much. And it's funny when people ask me how you perform in front of 8,000, 20,000, however many people, it just felt natural to me. Did you have that same feeling? Yeah, I did. And uh, uh, I tell the story about uh, 
uh, how you handle the noise in the Chicago stadium. And I said, well, you just blank it out. And she said, like heck you can blank. Don't tell me you can blank out the noise in the Chicago stadium. <laughs> and I said, well, there was the one guy I could hear. And she said, I thought so. What was he yelling? I said, he was yelling, cold beer, get your cold beer. And I heard him. He was at every game, and I heard him every time he opened his mouth. Yeah. Well, What's funny about that, though, is that you had this the reputation for getting sick before games and throwing up. So was that nervousness just about performing uh, on the to ice? A degree, to a degree, and I found that I played better if I put pressure on myself. I still say that pressure is the greatest thing an athlete can have because it pushes them to the notch higher. And the pressure is what does that. And so I put pressure on myself, and I, I found that I played better if I threw up. And I, I didn't throw up uh, peas and carrots. I threw up. Uh, I'd take a drink of water, and I'd gag more than I'd throw up. But, uh, but yeah, I, uh, I liked uh, like the feeling of, uh, of putting pressure on myself. Hmm. Well, there's certainly no more in any other position in sports than what we do in feeling pressure. It's interesting how athletes seem to find different forms of motivation like that. And I've talked to a lot of different guys and whether it's throwing up or visualization and everybody's got a different way to prepare, it seems like. And obviously yours was very different than throwing up and that kind of became a calling card. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you talk about uh, visualization and uh I thought everybody did it when uh, I didn't realize it was something new. I certainly did it. I could close my eyes and I could see. And it was the uh, the top guys that were going to score on you. And uh, you could see the way they played uh, their game. And uh, I could just see everything, every little move they were going to put on me. So before games, were you actively thinking about the players that you were going to be play against, what their their oh, tendencies and techniques were? I was thinking about them the day before. Hmm. Yeah, I was thinking, and I knew the top guys, the guys that I had to be concerned about, and uh, like whether they were the goal scorer, they were the guy who were going to move the puck to to the goal scorer, and uh, yeah, I. Uh, I enjoyed that part of the game. I was tempted when I first got on the line with you to call you just Mr. Goalie for the rest of this, but try to be a little <laughs> less formal than that. One of the things that's attributed to you is what we call the butterfly now. And I don't know if that's what you called it when you first started doing it, but what was your reasoning and your theory behind dropping to the ice to make saves? Well, it was common sense. Like, <clears throat> we were taught to... We were taught by uh, the experts, and the experts knew nothing. They had never played goal. Some people they would knew... argue they still don't. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, this is, uh, this is what was uh, so difficult is to, for them to – they wanted you to have your, your legs tight together so you didn't let in that uh, in between the legs. And uh, – 
You'd say, well, the hell, you stop 10 on the post because he got the legs uh, wide enough that you can at least move. And uh, they didn't understand that. They knew nothing. And it was, uh, it, it was difficult. And, uh, but I just uh, decided to play my own game. If I didn't do it, somebody else would have done it in the future. Uh because it was common sense. It was uh, it's how you stop the puck, and that's what uh, the goalkeeper was interested in. And, and uh, I'm sure you felt you must have had some kind of a a way of preparing. And uh, I think all of us had different ways of preparing. Well, for myself, you know, I, not being able to have watched you played growing up, I watched the guys that took what you started and it's all evolved into what it is today. You know, we're on the ice all the time. You know, rebounds, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you thought were the responsibility of your defensemen to take care of and that yeah. having your pads behind your stick was really important. Um, could you just, you know, talk a little bit about that? Well, like... Uh... Uh, you're not strong enough to hold the to hold the stick out in front unless you're deflecting a tie or something. But uh, the shot itself will uh, will go through your stick, and so you had to have something backing it up. And uh, and so I found that just uh, against the pads as you moved, and uh, every everybody's got a weakness and. Uh, uh, but you got to play to your strengths. Mm -hmm. You really talk about balance being so important for goaltending, and that's so true even for today's game. And you also had a really unique approach to how you did breakaways. And I, I find that very interesting because... For me, breakaways were something that I always really enjoyed. I, I thought, especially yeah. when we started to do penalty shots after uh, overtimes now, I love doing shootouts. And what was your theory on breakaways? Because I know it was a little bit different than other people at the time. Well, like I wanted to get high, uh, high position. And like I say, when you'd come from the post to a high position, uh, you'd stop in the front foot and uh, uh, you'd do a little dance uh, up high. And uh, that let you come back to the post because I said uh, that, uh, and like I talked about the experts, what they taught us was to go parallel to the crease. Well, but if the guy held the puck long enough and we had a couple of guys who took advantage of me by just... Uh, coming in on a breakaway and uh, just going almost to the boards. And uh, if I was going parallel to the crease from a high position, then uh, all of a sudden he had an open net to shoot at. And uh, so so I found out that you uh, did a little dance at the top and you come back to post. Hmm. The else that I noticed too is that you had a really interesting way of putting your skate not inside the post, but the outside. What yeah. what led you to the decision to do that? Because, again, you were very methodical and it was a conscious decision. So what helped you come to the conclusion that that was the best way well, for you to play goal? Even at that time, you know, they were coming around the net and they were trying to jam it in. 
And I found that uh, by having the foot on the outside of the post, that they couldn't move me. And uh, so it didn't jam. And uh, I got uh, I got it into uh, a good position as soon as the puck went out in front. Today, we call that the overlap. And again, this is something that you were doing... I mean, years and years ago, and now it's commonplace for us. And it's not just on wraparounds. We'll do it when someone's driving the net towards us. And really for the same reasoning, though, so that we're not jammed up against the post. So it's funny how what you pioneered in the 50s is still something today that we're working on and trying to actively get better at. Well, are, are they hooking the foot around the post now? We will do it on a drive. We won't usually do it on a wraparound. Um, so that yeah. part's a little bit different, but we still do it when yeah. someone is attacking the net because it keeps us free of the post and we're able to, to seal and to still be able to move. Yeah, that's... Uh, no, I'll tell you, uh, it's been a great journey for myself and uh, I, uh, the part I enjoyed the most and the most comfortable I've ever been was in the net. And, mm. yeah. There's one thing... I can't talk to you without bringing up the 502-game Ironman streak that you had in the National Hockey League. And you did it completely without wearing a mask, played through stitches, cuts, I'm sure bruises and strains and pulls. What was your mentality during that long of a stretch, playing through those difficult times? What was going through your mind? I just enjoyed playing, and if, uh, in fact, if I counted the minors and junior hockey and everything, I believe I played 1,026 consecutive wow. games. Incredible. So, uh, uh, but I, I was lucky, and uh, most of our injuries at that time was uh, puck-related, and usually face... Uh, uh, which didn't keep you out of the lineup if you got uh, cut. I've been hit three times real hard eh, in the face. And uh, like I say, it, it didn't uh, keep you out of the lineup. And uh, But in those days, that's, you did because it was what the old keep, keepers did before you. And... Uh, and they didn't lie down there and whine. Uh, I saw one here the other day, and he got hit in the shoulder, some damn thing. And you just thought he uh, had been killed. And because he <laughs> laid there, and he whined and whined. And I thought they were going to have to carry him off, but they finally got up. And Yeah, but I don't watch a lot of hockey because I... Uh, it bothers me sometimes uh, how the goalkeeper reacts to the the different plays. And, uh, I keep thinking, well, you should be looking at the old goalkeepers. That's what what I did. I looked. Uh, I said, well, the old guys had set the standards, and so uh, and they got up. So that's why I got up, not mm -hmm. because I was tough or anything else. I got up because they had set the standards. Mm -hmm. So when you would get hit, you mentioned a couple times that you take a puck pretty hard to the face. What would happen? They'd stop the game, and you'd go off, 
and get stitched up and come back? Would that take a while sometimes? Yeah, it would. Uh, uh, it uh, it really would. I uh, I remember Johnny Bauer. Uh, he was playing in Cleveland, and I was playing in Indianapolis in the American League, and. Uh, and uh, we had some kind of a hockey function at uh, Toronto, and I told him, I said, John, I don't know if you remember, I said, that, uh, when in the American League, I said, uh, I was the other end when you got uh, got hit, and I said, I think you lost seven teeth. And his wife, Nancy, was there, and she said, nine. <laughs> and I said, oh, John, I said, if there were nine teeth lying on the ice, I said, I'm glad they were at your end. And uh, But he, he went off, and he came back and finished the game. Mm. Yeah, and uh, he was a little lighter with nine teeth gone. So, <laughs> did, yeah. you, did you have a relationship with other goaltenders that had played at that time? Uh, I loved uh, Gump Worsley and, uh, and Johnny Bauer. When they used to have the uh, the bench clearing brawls, uh, we used to always go up to center ice and talk to each other as a family. <laughs> and uh, and uh, the goal that so and so scored against you last week, how did he score it? And you would uh, discuss different moves and. Uh, different ways that they were scoring goals. And, so you guys uh, are talking but, shop at the red line while there's a bench clearing brawl going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the way it was. And I loved, uh, I loved both of them. I really did. And the Gumpy was the, uh, he was a comedian also. Like, uh, I'm sure you've heard the story when he played in, in New York, uh, they asked him which uh, team gave him the most trouble, and he said the Rangers. <laughs> and that was his own team, eh? And that's basically the way it was. The defensemen can be such a help, but they can be a a problem too, part of the problem. And uh, you have to, well, you have to educate the defensemen. You know that's tough work, and. When you can see it, you can basically stop it. So uh, let me see it if you can. And, uh, you pick up rebound. Was that something you did a lot of during your career, talking to your defensemen and your other teammates and trying to help them do things that you preferred seeing in front of you during a game? Yeah, yeah. You would let them know which uh, you like. Say, look, uh, if I can see it, I can stop it. And you guys, but don't drag the stick. It, it really bothered me when a defenseman would drag his stick out there. So it's uh, going to deflect. So it's going to be me who eats it. Eh? Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's, play, he's playing it pretty safe. He doesn't hold it in front of him so it comes up off his stick into his face, but he doesn't mind if it comes off his, his stick into my face. So I, uh, I tried to talk to him. Well, it's not just deflected pucks you had to worry about. It's also partway through your career, players started to use curved six. And so you had guys out there with the big banana hook. And how did that change the way you practiced and the way you'd stop pucks in games? Well, all of a sudden, instead of the puck coming 
coming through. Like they could cut the puck, you know, and make it work a little bit. It was like a knuckleball, and uh, <clears throat> but they could uh, they could uh, cut it so it would drop, and uh, that bothered me. That uh, because uh, one that's going to hit the glass on the true shot, it's going to hit the glass or the screen or whatever you had back there, and. Uh, so you would leave it when it was up there, and all of a sudden it would uh, it would drop in and cut the crossbar, and uh, so that bothered me. I had to uh, had to play the shots a little different, but it was interesting. It was always interesting in goal. If you love scratchers from the Virginia Lottery, you'll really love the new Lucky Number Scratcher. 32 chances to win $500,000 plus four bonus games. Stop by your closest retailer and check it out. For odds and more information, visit VALottery.com. We got a couple other folks that we want to talk about. Skin Effects Raps. Mark Magnanti out of Rochester, New York, does a fantastic job creating wraps for your mask. A great way to change the design on your mask. If you change teams, if you just want a new paint job, it is a really cost-effective way to be able to do that, to change your look. And Mark does a fantastic job. And last season, when I would occasionally practice with the Vegas Golden Knights, my mask just didn't look great. I had an old Senator's mask, and I thought, you know what, I want to look the part out here. I got in touch with Mark at his Instagram page, SkinFXWraps. And we went from there. He created a design. It looks amazing. I was happy to sport it. So if you're looking for something to make your helmet look good, get in touch with Mark. Again, Skin FX Wraps. He'll take care of you. Another friend of the show, Hiko Sticks. Hiko, standing for hand-eye coordination. This device has three prongs on it. They're each different colors. You call out the color as you throw it to a partner. You call out which hand to catch it with. It's all hand-eye coordination. I used it late in my career, the Hiko stick, to make sure I was staying ahead of the curve when it came to hand-eye coordination. And now today, my daughters and I love to play with it in the backyard, by the pool. Hey, it floats. Why not? But it really helps them build that hand-eye coordination. It's a great tool. If you go to hecosticks.com, use the promo code 6DMM56. That's going to get you 10% off on your order. Again, hecosticks.com. Did you enjoy practice? No, I hated practice. Oh, really? I, I liked practice till I was probably 22, 23 years old when I was learning something. But when I wasn't learning anything, uh, practice was stupid. In fact, it it hurt me because uh, <laughs> all of a sudden you were hitching up and uh, you shouldn't have been. You wanted to stay deep in your crouch and and the crouch was always important. Uh, I found that uh, I liked it really, really deep, and I was I was told not to in junior hockey. Then I was lucky enough to get to uh, Windsor across the river from Detroit. And uh, when Sawchuck was at his prime, when he was at his very best, and he played out of quite a low crouch, too. eh? And uh, I just liked watching what the other goalkeepers were doing and uh, uh, seeing the things that uh, I thought worked for them. And, And so you would be a little bit copycat, I believe. 
If you didn't like practice very much, did any of your coaches ever give you a hard time about it? Because you had to protect yourself, I'm sure, too, which, like you said, you start to pull up a little bit and you're not as aggressive as you would be in a game. Yeah. Were they, well, were they tough uh, on you? Uh, most of the coaches weren't very good. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was lucky enough to play for Scotty Bowman. And uh, Scotty, he, he was the smartest. Uh, he was way ahead of his time. And, uh, he knew what was good for me. And uh, and uh, so he pretty much let me do what I wanted to do. And he never practiced me uh, late or hard. And uh, that, that was great plan for him. And Lynn Patrick was such a... A perfect general manager. Uh, he was so good to the guys, and we were treated so well in in St. Louis. And I think that's why Chicago is uh, is going out of their way to be super nice to us now, because uh, they realize how we were treated when we played there, mm. which wasn't very good. Really? So your experience in Chicago wasn't wasn't nearly as nice as it was to, as St. Louis when you got there. Playing, we had we had a good team, and I loved to play in Chicago. Uh, but uh, no, uh, no, we weren't treated well. Mm. That's tough to hear. I mean, nowadays they've got food waiting for us at every corner, and we're well, just pampered. Well, general and... <laughs> manager and coaches. It was the general manager and coaches that were. It made it tough. It wasn't. It certainly wasn't the owners. The owners didn't have much, uh, uh, much to do with the hockey team. They'd drop in. Some of them would drop in now and again. But uh, like Jim Norris was uh, such a good guy and uh, and enjoyed it. But he never never put his hockey ideas in uh, that the coaches should use. I'd like to go in a little bit different uh, direction here and ask you about equipment for a little bit. And, you know, now our stuff is all foam and, and synthetic materials, but what you were using back then was natural leather. It was stuffed with deer hair. What were your preferences in your equipment? Well, we didn't. The equipment people, they thought they knew how to make equipment. They had no idea what kind of equipment to make and anything, but they were telling us, no, this is the way it's got to be. You've got to use it like this. And and I said, no, I don't want it that way. I don't want it that way. This is the way I want it. Can you make something like that? And I said, no. So they never made good equipment. They'd give you a bunch of garbage and uh, <laughs> the skates... Uh, I ended up going from Tack to Bauer because they had such a good counter in the in the heel that it it uh, gave you such good control of your skates and such good balance. So so I really really enjoyed uh, enjoyed the Bauer skate and uh, and they had a little wider blade. Uh, it wouldn't bend as easy. In those days, we used to split, and uh, like if uh, it was the right foot that I used to use a lot to to uh, to 
to stop the puck, and so it had bent the blade and everything. It was tough to get sharpened, and uh, oh, there were a lot of weaknesses with the equipment, but the equipment people, for some reason, they thought they knew more than the goalkeeper about what the equipment they should be having. And like you say, the old pads, uh, uh, they used to get you new pair of pads to, in the playoffs so you could take the pictures. And uh, and uh, at training camp, we played in these old, uh, little old arenas and uh, there'd be always water on the ice. And so you would soak them up. And so when training camp was over, the the pads were uh, were ruined. They were finished. But you had to play all year with them until playoffs. Did you prefer a shorter pad or a longer pad when you played? I used to have them cut down a little bit, taken off of the inside high. Uh, I took a bad cut over top of the pad. The equipment people, I remember... uh, even Kineski, uh, who made the pads and the good pads, he was telling me what lengths I should have. And I was saying, no, I want this length. And uh, everybody seemed to know more than the goalkeeper. And, uh, <laughs> well, you... uh, and they really thought they did yeah. uh, about uh, about everything. And, well, it's all become yeah. so customized now. We can get anything we want down to the colors and graphics and the shape of it, the break of the glove. And, and so much of what you guys wore was really just off the shelf and modified, which is amazing to me because there's so few guys nowadays who they just don't tinker with the gear like they used to. You know, you had to find creative solutions a lot of times, right? Oh, you sure did. And it bothered you when somebody had come in and when you weren't there. And then correct your equipment, and uh, that'd be just some friend of the trainer or whatever come in there, and he'd tighten up your glove or whatever. And I, I used to tell the trainers, I said, don't, don't let anybody sit in my spot, and don't let anybody touch my equipment. Hmm. Well, you went almost all of your career without wearing a mask. Yeah, I I wore a mask uh, in St. Louis mm-hmm. for for a couple of years. I think two and a half years. Did you find the transition to wearing a mask difficult because you had a lefty Wilson at first and did some practicing with it? But when you eventually switched, was it was it tough to get into one? Yeah, it was tough to know how to use. Like like I had to learn like you look out the top of your mask the top of the eyes you keep down and that way you can see behind you eh? like get to drop the eyes you can see behind you and so you'd look out and I used to tell everybody I didn't have to know how many pigeons were up in the rafters <laughs> it was just uh, enough that you could see the uh see the opposition in the puck, so I really looked out the top of my eye. Well, there there actually were pigeons in the building in the St. Louis arena, though. That's the building that I grew up in watching games. My dad and grandpa have been off-ice officials there for years. What do you remember about the St. Louis arena? Well, it was was really a 
beautiful arena for the fans because uh, the seats were so steep that the fans were right on top of the game and uh, it was it was perfect that way and the the fans were so good in St. Louis like uh, the fans themselves uh, gave us an advantage of half a goal a game and uh, because uh, they they weren't quiet and reserved like they seem to be now uh they would yell when they wanted to yell and uh, boo when they wanted to boo yeah did it seem kind of magical going to the cup finals right away in St. Louis when you got there well we just had to win the uh, expansion division mm-hmm. that uh, we we got in it wasn't that we worked ourselves uh, into it like by being uh, all together with the original six. It was the original six that uh, established uh, their contender for the finals, and it was expansion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm being from St. Louis, though, even if it may have been from the expansion side of it. I know that that cemented hockey in town, just having the chance to go to the finals like that. You know, what you did and what those teams did have created a hockey community in St. Louis that now, almost 50 years later, we've got kids being drafted in the first round, and we would have never guessed this. And a lot of that's due to those original years. So uh, we owe a lot of thanks to you. Like, uh, again, conditions were perfect to play there. You have so many things in your career that were successful, from the Vezina trophies to the all-star selections. When you look back at your career, what are you most proud of? Well, I never won the Vezina. I screwed that one up. (laughs) They called it the Vezina when I played, but it was the Jennings Trophy. It was Ah, for the goals against... Right. It had nothing to do with uh, being the top goalkeeper. It was the goalkeeper who played in the best team who who won the Vesna okay. at that time. And uh, so let's let me let me yeah let me rephrase that then. <laughs> so over your course of your career, with with all the accolades and the All Star selections, the winning seasons, the shutouts, the Iron Man streak, what are you most proud of, and what are your best moments you felt like in the crease? I just like to be there. I never thought about all those things, and I, I was uh, like I mentioned before. I that is a position that uh, I was the most comfortable in. I was uh, never more comfortable than when I was in the goal, and uh, I didn't really think about uh, how many games I had played or uh, how many shutouts I had. And, you would, uh, uh, when you retire, you you think about those things. But when you're playing, you uh, you simply played one game at a time. And uh, if uh, the results were such that you try to forget, well, then you try to forget. And uh, uh, again, you remembered the good moves you made and. Uh, uh, you tried to utilize the good moves, and but it was all about uh, simply learning the position. There's one final thing I want to ask you about, and it's a famous quote that you had. 
that you told them that you were out painting the barn and you couldn't come to the phone or be connected. Is it really truth to that story when they were trying to get you to come play again in St. Louis that you just told them, ah, I'm out painting the barn? Yeah, well, that's exactly what I was doing. And we didn't have a phone uh, uh, at the farm. And uh, they would contact my wife, and she she was the one who said, well, he's out painting the barn. And, uh, but that's what... <laughs> That's exactly what I was doing, and uh, we mentioned before that training camp wasn't a fun position for a goalkeeper. We had so many good things going for us, and training camp was not one of them. I didn't learn anything. I, I kept in shape, was in better shape the first day I was at training camp than I was two weeks after because I was hitching, and we talked about all of those things. And yeah. Uh, no, I just uh, I just enjoyed the position. I didn't care. And as long as I was playing hockey, I loved the minors as much as... Well, you played uh, quite a while in the minors I yourself. I have, absolutely. I've ridden buses all yep. around. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and uh, but you enjoyed it as much as the National Hockey League, I'm sure. I did, and sometimes some of the most unique things that happened were in the minors just because of all the different logistics that went into it. Yep, exactly. Well, uh, but uh, but I enjoyed the minors so much, I really did, and uh, and I was learning there, and uh, and uh, you learned in the games, not in practice. But the games are what uh, what put you in a position to learn something. Well, Mr. Goalie, Glenn Hall, this has been an amazing time talking with you because it's not every day that someone gets to, to speak with just someone who quite honestly is a legend in our sport and in our position in our game. And to be able to talk to you one-on-one -on -one like this and just chat goaltending is, is amazing. I know people are going to enjoy it. So thank you so much for your time. I don't do a good job of expressing myself, and uh, uh, but I thank you for the opportunity. And it's nice to talk to. It's always nice to talk to a goalkeeper. And uh, two goalkeepers are talking. Defensemen come around. Uh, uh, we always were polite, and we would tell the defenseman that uh, if we were talking too fast for him, we could slow down. <laughs> So uh, you remember that when you're with a defenseman and a goalkeeper. Huge thanks to Mr. Goalie Glenn Hall for joining Six Degrees with Mike McKenna. If you like the show, please remember to subscribe, leave a rating, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, any of those places. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.